worldview discussions. This is lesson 21, people. Welcome, welcome. I am I'm I'm looking forward to talking about heaven and hell with you guys. And maybe that sounds kind of weird to say, but I I think that there's a lot here that can help us sort through some of our ideas and also process and maybe be challenged about the concepts that we've got and but also we can be encouraged as well as as we think about um, what what God is at work doing not just in the future but but in the present and so I'm I'm excited about that so we'll we'll just jump in um, I I want us to think and connect a little bit from last week. Do you remember the the last lesson was thinking about how can a loving God send people to hell? And the case was made that maybe quite possibly God isn't actually sending people to hell. Maybe people are making that choice on their own and God is giving people what they want. And that may have surprised some of you. Um, I, I find that to be fairly compelling in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think we need to add more to the conversation and even think about what hell is, what it isn't, as best we can from what Scripture is saying. And then I want to talk a little bit about what heaven is and what heaven isn't. And so I want to start by thinking about how God communicates to his, his audience. And I find it helpful to think about how God communicates to people using their view of the world around them. So I think that God accommodates his message to the understanding that people at that time are going to have. I think he does this in the Old Testament. I think he does it in the New Testament. And I think he does it with cosmology, the the idea of the, the, the makeup, of the, the map of, of our world. Just a couple thoughts on, on that with heaven and, and with hell, even in the New Testament, that God communicates in a way they would understand. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, uh, 12 2, of a man being caught up to the third heaven. And we know that there aren't three heavens. We know that if you just go up in the sky, you keep going, and, and you're, you're not going to encounter uh, heavens. You're going to encounter space up there. But that was the, the Jewish concept, even in the first century, and Paul reflects that. And God doesn't intervene and say, no, 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 there's a stratosphere and a thermosphere and, and so forth. But he allows that to be the form of communication to get across the big ideas and the points that he wants made. And the same seems to be true with the ideas of hell. So the, the Greek words used for hell include Hades. Hades is used nine times in the New Testament. And Tartarus is used by Peter in 2 Peter 2.4. 
So it's, it's interesting that these words are connected to the Greco-Roman concepts of the afterlife. So, and, and on top of that, I'm just going to throw in there that passages about hell are often apocalyptic in its genre. So we have to be cautious. We don't have a lot of info about heaven or hell, but what we do have seems to be very symbolic and culturally rooted. So I think that's an important thing to recognize as we get into discussing the concepts of heaven and hell. The way I want to talk about it today is from our perspective, how we experience heaven and hell in three stages within our lifetime. And so hopefully this will be a helpful way to think about this for you guys. So I want to think about how we experience heaven and hell in life today, how we experience it in life after death, and how we experience it in life after life after death. Wish I could say I made that up, but that's all NT right. What I've noticed is that when we think about heaven and hell, we often think about life after death, that middle stage. And people don't often think about heaven and hell as an experience that we can have today. And they don't often think about heaven and hell as something that happens after death. I mean, life after, life after death, that there's a third stage. So let's go through these, these three stages. Here's, here's the first one, life today. And this might be a little surprising for, for some of you to hear me talk like this. How do we experience heaven now? Well, what does heaven actually mean uh, in the New Testament? Jesus, interestingly, says in Mark 1, 14 and 15, he says, repent and believe the good news. And then in verse 15, he says what the good news is. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, that phrase kingdom of God in Matthew is kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? So just look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 for reference there. So somehow, Jesus was able to make the announcement that the kingdom of heaven has arrived on earth and people could experience it. What is it to, to mean to experience the kingdom of heaven? I think it's a way to talk about God's reign that has come to earth. And of course, it has come because the king had come. And so is there a way in which we experience in a imperfect manner the reality of heaven? And I want to say yes. I think that when we participate and submit to Jesus as our king, um, we are beginning to participate in heaven that has come to earth, in the people of God, in the way we see people giving their allegiance to Jesus and it changing how they live their lives so that they're graciously and lovingly living out the ethics of the kingdom that has arrived already. 
Yep, we are waiting for a king to return, but in some way, there is an already but not yet sense that the kingdom has arrived. Heaven can be experienced today through the presence of God's spirit that he has given to his people. I think hell also can be recognized as experienced today. And this might sound a little weird, but what is hell? And I think it's worth noting that hell is not to be understood as something that God made, but that we have made. In Genesis 1, nowhere does it say in the beginning God made the heavens, the earth, and hell. I think hell can be a way to talk about the reign of evil spiritual forces and the reign of rebellious humans here on earth. Paul speaks of in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that our enemy is not other humans but spiritual forces. In James 3 5 and 6 the tongue James says is set on fire by hell. Now think about that. How can hell be a reality that is after death if our tongues are being influenced by it today? And that for me is is almost kind of a slam dunk at that point to get me to realize that hell is a way to talk about the the influence of rebellious humans and spiritual beings that are reigning um, on earth uh, in a kingdom that is against the kingdom of God. So, um, in summary, heaven and hell are realities today that are present somehow on this earth. Let's talk about that next section, uh, life after death. And let me give you a quick little snippet from N.T. Wright. He's going to talk about paradise. Paradise is an ancient Persian word which means a garden, a lovely, beautiful garden. And it's a word which was in common use at the time to mean a place of rest and refreshment and delight. But it's not the ultimate destination. And you can see that from Luke's gospel already because Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, wait a minute, that's Good Friday. Is that the end of the story for Jesus? No, it isn't. Three days later, Easter Day, Jesus is raised from the dead. He is the beginning of God's new world. But in the meantime, he has been in this resting place in paradise. Now that gets complicated because the Bible also says that Jesus went to Hades to preach to the spirits in prison, which is a very strange passage. But the clear thing is that paradise is the temporary, beautiful, blissful place before the final moment. I hope you could hear that there. He said at the end, it's before the final moment. And so let's look at this next stage here. That was N.T. Wright, by the way, who was speaking. What about stage two, life after death? This is the stage that I think a lot of people think of when they think about heaven and hell. And also, I think it is the stage that a lot of Christians and non-Christians think is the final stage that this is the end game, that 
I mean, I hear this with the gospel being preached. People say, Jesus died so that I can go to heaven. And I just don't think that that's what the biblical narrative teaches. Uh, one, I don't think that represents what the gospel really is. I think the gospel is an announcement. I mean, Jesus says it in Mark 1, that the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. The gospel is not Jesus died so I can go away somewhere. It seems to me the gospel is an announcement that Jesus is king and he's becoming king through the cross and that we can give our allegiance to this king who is defeating sin and death, paying for our sins, and we can join his kingdom, which has come to this earth. So if that's the case, if earth is uh, the place where God wants to bring his kingdom, what about the second stage, life after death? When Jesus is talking to the thief on the cross, you heard N.T. Wright in that short video talk about that. In Luke 23, 43, Jesus refers to this as paradise. It connects with a Hebrew word for Eden, and it seems to be a disembodied, as, as best we, we know it, but an intermediate state. It is an oasis, but it is not where um, those who have gone before us will remain. And so let me give you a few passages. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14 says that Jesus will bring with him those who are asleep. Um, for this one, I know that some are going to argue that that's the rapture happening there. I personally don't think that that's the rapture. I think that that's Jesus arriving back down here, and uh, this is the second coming just like 1 Thessalonians 5 speaks of it. So I don't see two separate events there. But um, the big idea is the point, he's bringing with him those who are asleep. So everybody is going to agree that somebody who has died, who is a follower of Jesus, they are with Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians 4 seems to make that pretty clear. Philippians 1, 22 and 23, Paul says he would like to depart and be with Christ. And in 2 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. I think the problem is that over time, Christians have thought that that's it. And so it, it seems to cut short uh, what the biblical narrative is, what, what God's intent is. And my concern is it would also seem to redefine what we're doing here. If I'm just waiting to get out of here, then I, it seems to me that that kind of re, reshapes uh, my ethic here, as opposed to me recognizing that I've, I've already entered into the kingdom of heaven. I'm a citizen of heaven, and I'm doing my king's work in here and now, and I'm waiting for him to return here. Um, so that that's, there seems to be something significant there um, that, that is worth reflecting on. Um, you may disagree with me on that, um, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but I'm, I've, I've just noticed in my life that um, there's something significant about recognizing that the end game is not 
to get out of here forever, but that God wants to restore and fix this world. Um, and so, and to be fair, those that believe in a rapture uh, can very much believe in a return back here. So I don't, I don't want to create a caricature that is, or a straw man here, but um, I think it's a good opportunity for us to think about what we believe about these things and why they matter. So uh, I think, did I read it? Second Corinthians 5, 8 as well. Paul says to be absent from the bodies, to be with the Lord. So our loved ones who have died and, and we're following Jesus, they are with Jesus, but it is an intermediate state. Uh, Jesus will at some point, however you figure this out with your beliefs about the end times, Jesus will be returning with them. What about hell in, in this time period right now after death? To be honest, I really don't know what to do with this stage. I don't know what to say. I don't know how much the Bible actually speaks to this reality in the here and now. Until the day of, of judgment and Jesus returning and all is made new, I don't know. But there could be some passages like 2 Peter 2, 4, Jesus, he was preaching to the spirits in prison. I actually think those are spiritual beings that are imprisoned, not humans. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just have a big question mark about what what is the existence of those who have rejected Jesus in the here and now. And maybe part of the issue is thinking about the here and now and moving on into eternity. So that's that's a question mark for me. Um, I do not think that the Bible makes the case that they are with the Lord, but as to what their reality and existence is like right now, question mark. Let me get to that last one, life after, life after death. N.T. Wright says, heaven is great, but it's not the end of the world, <laughs> which I like that. So what about this final stage, life after, life after death? Here, um, it, it seems that the New Testament teaches that Jesus will be returning. We are going to get new physical bodies, and we are going to reign with Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it speaks of the Lord descending. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of our bodies being sown into the ground like a seed and coming back to life. There's a resurrection motif here of our bodies, which Paul in Romans 8, he refers to the redemption of our bodies and creation waiting for us to be made new, just like Jesus was. So it's like Jesus was the firstborn, uh, the first fruits. And so what happened to Jesus in the middle of history as he uses his resurrection body, happens to us at the end of history. And of course, Revelation 21 speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. The, the imagery is just that in Revelation. I think it's symbolic imagery. And so we're reading about the bride of creation, um, coming together and, and being married to Jesus. We have the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and it's replacing Babylon. And it's a, a Jerusalem that's the shape, uh, the cube-like shape of the temple in Ezekiel. There's the, the, the image of um, an incredible feast 
so all these symbols, right? There's, again, I think there's a symbol of no sun. I, I don't read that meaning there actually won't be a sun. I think it's just Revelation's cool way of saying God's glory is going to be on full display here on earth. What about hell? Uh, Erickson, in his Systematic Theology, writes, if there's one basic characteristic of hell in contrast to heaven is the absence of God or the banishment from his presence. And so I don't think the Bible teaches hell is run by Satan. It seems to me that um, in, in Revelation, it is the um, ultimate destiny of Satan and those also who will be opposed to, to God. And this imagery of fire is something that I want to highlight. Could that, could that actually be symbolic, guys? And I don't mean that to, to, to lessen things, but I mean that to say, what is the text really communicating there? Because in Matthew 22, Jesus speaks of outer darkness. In Matthew 25, he speaks of eternal fire. And could this all just be a way to highlight what 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, which is eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord? Could this be a way to just describe one's freely chosen um, path that has begun in this world and that God's just going to allow them to continue into the next? The language of Romans 1 stands out to me, where it says that God handed them over to their desires. And yet Paul speaks of that as the wrath of God. Could hell be God giving people what they want? but into eternity. And I, I shudder to think about that truth that there will be people who will never fully be the humans that God intended them to be, that they will slowly on into eternity um, almost become less and less human as they are more self-absorbed in themselves um, and unable to love. I, it's just, so it's pictures, it's pictures, um, and it's horrible. And part of me is, as I think about this, I'm moved to, to challenge those around me with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and at the same time, I'm, I'm so thankful that we have a God who loved us so much that he, has come to save us from ourselves, that uh, that we could experience joy and fulfillment the way we were made in relationship to him. And so we, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for providing the way that we can be with you and reign with you and be the humans that you intended us to be here on this earth for eternity. And I pray, God, that you would use us to be a light to those around us, that we can give them the gospel truth, that the kingdom of God has come, and that they are welcome into that kingdom if they acknowledge Jesus as their king. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.